The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they picked themselves up, and how they hope work will change in the future. If you're the kind of person who lives by your phone, even at family events, who wakes up in the middle of the night to check emails, who feels they have to respond to messages within a few minutes or their business might crumble or you might get fired, this episode is for you. But this episode is also for you if you've realized that that kind of anxiety around digital communication, it just isn't sustainable. I've made a lot of mistakes. And as a result of those mistakes, I've made changes. I always like to say we have to hit rock bottom before we really start to break through. You know, I remember pre-pandemic back in 2018, I gave birth to my daughter, Kamaya, at a hospital in New York. It was two days in from giving birth, but I was still at the hospital because I had a C-section. And as an entrepreneur, I had no structured maternity leave. And for me, it was hard to let go of work. I was still checking my phone in the hospital. And I had this just general anxiety that if I wasn't responsive, no one would hire me. Or if I wasn't around, people would think that I wasn't available. And while I was at the hospital, Klein emailed me and said, can you talk by phone? She had no idea that I just had a kid. And, you know, this is embarrassing, but I took the call from the hospital two days after giving birth. I didn't tell her I just had this baby, but it was just this cycle of constant responsiveness that was not about her, but it was about my own insecurity and anxiety that if I wasn't always on, I would somehow show less commitment to others. That really taught me that I need to change my behavior. And as a result of some of the changes that I've made in my own life and setting boundaries, I've learned that the reverse is true, that less haste equals more speed. But you know, I really had to make these changes through a lot of mistakes myself. What's perhaps a little incredible is that the voice you just heard is someone who specializes in digital body language and communication. Someone who's been an entrepreneur managing her own schedule and thinking about online communication long before many of us became remote workers during the pandemic. Erica Dewan is the best-selling author of Digital Body Language and an expert on building great teams in our digital age. We spoke about the anxious cycle of responsiveness that our digital lives have created and why all that online communication is different from IRL relationships. Here's our conversation about how to regain balance and create boundaries with actionable, realistic steps. So I want to talk about email 
because I feel like email is like a symbol of all of the cycle of responsiveness, the sort of assumed urgency, the anxiety that nobody will want us if we're not constantly present, which by the way, I feel too. And and I think working for yourself also just like amps that up because, oh, yeah. you know, you're hustling all the time. You know, it's like the new version of FaceTime. It mm-hmm. unfortunately, in some cases, it does make or break relationships. But in many situations, I know managers that would much prefer impact without fast responses versus a lot of fast responses without that impact. Yeah. When you responded to that client in the hospital, what was the anxious thought that you had? Can you remember? The anxious thought that I had was, if I don't respond, I will lose this project. I will, I will signal to her that I'm unavailable. I will, um, you know, miss out on something. It was, it was a, it was almost like a, an email version of FOMO. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, it was mostly my fear that a lack of fast responses tied to a lack of a perception of commitment or performance. Right. And I think it's because I've been on the other end where I've read into digital cues. This is a more of a personal example, but I remember texting a friend, you know, saying dinner soon. And then I didn't hear from her. So I, I <laughs> called her once on a Saturday. I'm a phone call person. And then I called her again a few weeks later. And then, you know, I heard nothing. And then finally, you know, she liked one of my Facebook posts and I had no idea what it meant. I, I was wondering, Whoa. did it signal? Is that passive aggressive? Yeah, I was, I was wondering whether it meant, you know, I'm sorry, I've been overwhelmed or if it meant, you know, this is a signal now that we'll be more social media friends. And mm-hmm. because I've been through my own anxiety on the other end of this, I think that is what led me in that moment to really be fearful of not making someone else feel that same experience, even though, you know, I could have taken a week or just had a simple out of office on in that situation. And, and I would say that that was one of the low points. I'm not proud of taking a work call in the hospital two days after giving birth, but it taught me about the importance of really setting boundaries. Well, you wrote a wonderful op-ed in the New York Times and in it, it's all about setting boundaries around your digital communication. You ask, it's also worth asking yourself, who's putting the pressure on for an immediate response? Maybe it's you. And it has been me. I mean, in many situations, part of the reason I wrote the op-ed was because I hated this term that's become commonplace in our language, the term ghosting. You ghosted Mm. me or I got ghosted. And One of my goals was to shift our language from feeling ghosted, which really came from the dating world when someone actually didn't respond as a signal of being not interested, to reframing our relationships and our communication from ghosting to what I call triaging. So just like Mm. an emergency room doctor would triage different patients. So for example, if it's a life or death situation, you respond immediately. You address the patient just like you would respond to a phone call or an email. If it's a mild situation, like maybe a sprained ankle in the hospital, you can wait one to three hours to get treated. And and that's similar in a Slack message and an email. You can wait a few hours. 
And if it's a less urgent issue, you know, it can wait a few days. It can wait until the next start of a dis- of a business day. You don't have to stop everything at a dinner with your family and respond to that text. And I've been that person. And one of the things that I have been practicing to do is to think more about how I triage the inundation mm. of rings, dings, and vibrations that we're constantly getting now versus feeling like I'm ghosting someone else or I'm getting ghosted myself. So how do you? What's your triage system? Well, my triage system is really three factors that I use to guide whether I ignore a message immediately, whether I wait on it, whether I not respond altogether. The first is what's my level of trust in this relationship? Is this a longtime Mm. colleague or is this a cold sales pitch where someone is LinkedIn spamming me or, or, or pitching me on something? And we all get a lot of those phone calls and emails now as well. And yeah. typically higher trust does lead to faster response rates when it comes to my style. The second factor is urgency. Does this really need a response in a few hours or can it wait a few days? a few weeks even. There are jobs where quick responses really do matter. I used to work on a trading floor at an investment Mm. bank. It was my first job out of college. And so if you didn't respond to that email within two to three minutes, the stock price could change. Um, So there are situations where urgency does matter, where you're back and forth about to negotiate a deal. But a lot of cases, the few hours, it can wait. And then the third factor I use is complexity. Is it highly Mm. complex or is it not? And In this specific case, uh, I think what has happened, especially in the last few years, is we tend to rush our messages and don't give ourselves the time to read carefully, to write clearly, to really think about our responses. In a a face-to-face meeting, someone could read my furrowed brows or the stroking of my chin, knowing that I was thinking and it was okay. And so what I've tried to do now is if it is complex, I'll respond and say, you know, I've got it. I'll get back to you Tuesday. Mm -hmm. So that we create some space for complex issues. I love that because then they know that you're paying attention and you care and their own anxiety diminishes. I mean, this is the hard thing is that we don't email alone (laughs) or text alone or Slack alone. There's always someone on the other end. So how do you start to create better boundaries for yourself without shocking the other party? I mean, in this world that we're living in, it requires us to be really honest with ourselves around what we're doing consciously um, or unconsciously to set new norms. I think one of the things that's important is to understand how email texting, a lot of our digital channels are different than our in-person or even our phone conversations. Because when someone's standing two feet away from us and asks us a question or is on the phone or on a video call, we respond instantly. And we also know when the conversation has come to a natural end. But today in a text exchange, we have no idea, you know, when it's truly come to an end. And if we respond five hours later, we're also not sure whether we left them feeling ignored or appreciated. And and so what's required now is to understand that it's perfectly reasonable to set your own boundaries and communication norms, but also to be thoughtful of the fact that there are implied expectations based on each digital channel. So text mm. is faster than email. Email is faster mm-hmm. than a phone or video call. So 
it's important to actually be thoughtful of this as well. You don't want to text someone something if it isn't really urgent or a priority or of a norm in the trust level of your relationship. You may end up just never hearing back. And on the flip side, you don't want to leave a voicemail to, say, a digital native that has phone phobia and then doesn't want (laughs) to respond. So, you know, if you think about being an immigrant to a new country where you have to learn different accents and styles, I like to say today we're all immigrants to the digital body language of others. And we have to be conscious of these new signals. When it comes to boundaries, I think that there's no silver bullet. But, you know, for me, I've tried to think about what will fit into bringing me to allowing myself to create the best and highest use of myself each day. So, Mm. you know, I have two small kids and I've let my team know that I don't check email from 5 to 8 p.m. I'm with my kids. I shut it off. They call me out if I do. (laughs) Text me if it's urgent. Secondly, I try to hide my phone sometimes. When I go out to dinner, you know, I, I try to not bring my phone and make sure my husband has it. Go outside, take a break. It drives my productivity. We all know the research about single tasking versus multitasking. And lastly, I mean, one of the things I've seen that's worked really well for others is just being much more thoughtful about the out of office message. (laughs) I I mean, I know leaders that, you know, literally in their email signature, right? Please work in your own schedule. I work in mine or having an out of office in teams up when they leave for the day. I know one team that has an acronym they use called ROM, which means respond on Monday. So if you send something on a Saturday or Sunday, you don't need to make everyone feel like they have to rush to respond instantly and ruin their weekend. Hi, I'm Kwame Christian, CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, and I have a quick question for you. When was the last time you had a difficult conversation? These conversations happen all the time, and that's exactly why you should listen to Negotiate Anything, the number one negotiation podcast in the world. We produce episodes every single day to help you lead, persuade, and resolve conflicts both at work and at home. So level up your negotiation skills by making Negotiate Anything part of your daily routine. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. I'm curious if you can think of a time in your own career where your imagined urgency behind an email or, or a communication made your team anxious. Well, uh, you know, I can think back to so many different examples. But, um, <laughs> but let me share one that I will never forget. I had recently brought on a new team member who was based in Dallas. I was based in New York. And I was really excited. He was 
you know, really engaged in the role. He was working on some marketing efforts with me. And I thought things were going well in the first six weeks. He was responsive to all my emails. He got the work done. It felt, <laughs> it felt like everything was smooth. And about six weeks in, I had a quick call with him and I said, I think things are going great. You know, how do you think things are going? And he said to me, he said, no, I don't think things are going great. I'm thinking about quitting today. And what what I realized was that while work was getting done in our relationship, my digital cues and signals as a leader were actually quite abysmal. Uh, So some of the Mm. things that I realized I did in the relationship was First and foremost, I would send him brief, low context emails. I would say, you know, send me this report or we need mm. more information. But I I didn't always take the time to think about the fact that he was new and he needed more context. I right. would, you know, because I was so busy, I would cancel calls at the last minute. And sometimes he felt stood up mm. in a way that wasn't as thoughtful, especially at the beginning of a relationship. And one of the things I did is I never gave him in that situation, real-time feedback. So, you know, he'd send me, he sent me a report and I'd say, you know, K thinks or THX. And, um, <laughs> and he had no idea whether it needed more reviews or not. And, you know, this colleague was a digital native. He needed more context. Me yeah. being eight to 10 minutes late to a meeting wasn't just a signal to him that I was busy. It it didn't always signal that I valued his time. Uh, and, you know, my THX emails for me signaled that I appreciate his hard work, but for him felt like they were dismissive. And so, you know, if we were in person, I don't think we would have had these challenges. No. He would be able to read the smile, the relaxed exhale in my face after he completed something. But while my traditional body language would have been good, my digital body language here was abysmal. And I've really learned to understand that valuing others visibly in our new world of digital communication requires us to value their time, their inboxes, their schedules, to be thoughtful of showing gratitude in a virtual first way, and also to acknowledge the differences that we all have to make sure that we're truly on the same page. How do you feel about use of emojis to soften context or signal context? Yeah, I think emojis are the new version of facial expressions when you can't see them <laughs> on a, you know, on a on a video call or in person and they provide texture and context to shorthand digital communications. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of using emojis, but I also am a big fan of thinking before you emoji so that you're thoughtful. <laughs> you may not want to send a, an emoji to a new prospect that you've never connected with before, unless you know they they may be on the same page. But if you're a leader of a team and you're trying to connect virtually with someone that you may be working with remotely or you don't see as often physically, it can actually create a level of intimacy and connection with that individual. And it also says everything's fine. If yes. you if you write a terse email, it can be interpreted as hostile or angry. But if you write a terse email with an emoji, mostly I think it, it's interpreted as I'm just busy. Or it can be used passive aggressively, of course. I've been the target of that myself. We've all we've all been on that side. The emoji can mean <laughs> multiple things. Just like 
different facial expressions. So it can mean passive aggressiveness. It can mean happiness. It can, it can even, there's an angry, there's an excited emoji. And I think it, it, it is meant to bring context back when we need to use shorthand. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question that I feel like everybody has experienced, but probably experienced more so during the pandemic because we can't be together. So an email pops up. It's from your boss. It's from your client. And things have been a little rocky. The name alone makes your stomach drop and your heart flip. You're triggered. You want to drop everything, read the email, overinterpret it, and spend like two hours crafting a response, even if it's Friday night and your your husband's waiting to go out to dinner. What's your advice? Because those triggering emails are real. First, I want to say we've all been there. (laughs) And it's natural. When we're face-to-face and we have to address an issue, we can quickly read if someone's on the verge of tears or extremely excited and we know how to react. But when we get those emails, send me this report now, or why didn't you finish this? Or can we talk? Can we talk Monday morning? Yeah, can we talk Monday morning? <laughs> we we are left uh, for, you know, another 24 hours wondering what happened or, you know, is this a deal going to end? There are a couple of things I recommend in this situation. The first is Avoid responding to messages when you're angry or frustrated. Mm-hmm. If it feels passive aggressive, if it, it feels like you're getting emotionally hijacked, you know, if you need to, you can save a draft response, revise it and send it when you're in a better mood. And if, if something mm-hmm. really is urgent, do it. But if you're getting really triggered, I, I think it's a moment to actually have an overnight pause where you just sort of sleep wow. on it and send it the next day. Second, If you need to respond or you're of the style of responding, stay in the place of reason. Make sure you think through, you you think through being just rational. If someone does say, you know, we need to talk right now, (laughs) you know, say, you know, I'm not, I'm not available right now. Here are some dates. Like just be very rational in your response. And that can remove a lot of the heat that you may be feeling. And third, don't forget to try to change the conversation by showing empathy and encouragement. Hmm. I've seen things where instead of saying, you know, if someone says, do this right now, like an imperative, change it to, could you help me with this? Or could you do this? Or starting the conversation with, thank you so much for reaching out and then go into your response. So you're, you're shifting the conversation to signal appreciation before jumping in. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think if you are feeling that hijacked mode, don't respond, mm-hmm. take that pause and and come to it when you're in a better mood or take some time to think just like you would in any complex situation. I like that. I have another question and this happened to me. I ignored Slack for a while yep. because I actually wanted to get some work done. Hallelujah. And I got, well, but here's the thing. I got passive aggressively dinged for it. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I thought I was supposed to be heads down working like that. I thought that's a good thing. Like, I thought I was only supposed to check Slack, you know, like, ah! and I, of course, I'm not a Slack native. Slack is hard for me to learn, actually. What, what do you do when you get the passive aggressive ding, even while you're trying to keep good boundaries? Yeah, yeah, this is hard. And there are two factors here that matter. The first is who has more or less power in the situation. So mm-hmm. bosses do set the tone here. And if they if they want fast responses, then 
You know, Slack is in many ways the new FaceTime in our yeah. in our cultures. The second factor is whether you have a high trust or low trust relationship. And, you know, I do think when you have less trust and less power, speed in some cases matters as much as substance. It's kind of like the first in, last out. Like I'm on it and you've heard from me. But once you've built trust, I think it's really important to have a conversation around boundaries. And (laughs) it may be the fact that individuals do need to hear back from you and they do use Slack. So maybe there's designated times every Every day from 10 to 11, you go into the Slack in the morning and you respond to everything and then you'll be off 12 to 4. And as long as the teams know that, they're not getting overwhelmed or anxious. They know that there's a 24-hour response rate and that you're on it, but it's not creating this overwhelm of I'm not working, I'm not ignoring you, and is more so a case where we're aligning on schedules and boundaries. Yeah. I mean, that's the truth, because the thing is, is that other parties are anxious, too. Yeah. And, and and I always tell that to people, like, your boss's anxious, you know, stressful email may be actually about his level of anxiety versus your poor performance, yes. right? But there's just so many unknowns in digital communication. Yes, I believe. Let's all hold our horses. Let's stop <laughs> moving in this ha- at this hamster wheel pace that yeah. is actually eroding better collaboration. There was a study and McKinsey really recently wrote an article about how interactivity is increasing. We interact more uh, on Slack, text, Teams, Zoom, you name it. But true productive high value collaboration is actually deteriorating. What used to be a five minute quick conversation face to face is turned into six reply all emails, 30 minute Zoom and and is, (laughs) is not as beneficial as we would have hoped. So This is a moment to take our power back, to set boundaries, to not assume someone's ghosting you, and to accept that triaging is here to stay. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much. That's it for today's show. The Anxious Achiever is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to all our guests for sharing their stories with us. And thank you to our advertisers for supporting. If you want to share your story about mental health and work, send me a message on LinkedIn. I'll always respond. If you love the show, tell your friends, subscribe or follow us and leave a review. From LinkedIn Presents, this is Maura Aaron's Mealy.